Hi, and welcome to the Circle of Film Podcast. I'm Ryan, and join me as we step into Once Upon a Time in Hollywood in today's review episode. I can show you the world. Just take a look through my eyes. Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino. Quentin Tarantino. He's got a new film. It's called Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And uh, it just came out in theaters. It opened opens today as I'm recording this. I saw it at Thursday previews last night. Uh, this podcast will be up on Monday or today if you're a Patreon subscriber. I am a big fan. Let, let's start here. Let's start with Tarantino himself. I really like Tarantino. Um... His films, let me be... <laughs> Tarantino, the person, you know, we're not going to really get into that, but his movies uh, are, are generally pretty good. Uh, I probably have... Um, I think most people, the majority of, of his fans put Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction at the top, and I do as well. I really, I love Inglorious Bastards, Jackie Brown, Django. Uh, I probably like Hateful Eight more than most. And I like probably like Kill Bill less than most, uh, and then you've got uh, Death Proof and other smaller things like his his portion of Four Rooms and, and so on. But as far as feature films uh, are concerned, that he's directed, they're all good. They're all good to some varying degree, as far as I'm concerned, and. So, you know, he comes out with his newest movie, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and I am interested. Uh, you know, I'm not, I don't love Tarantino. I, I don't, I don't, I don't I think he's one of the greatest directors of all time, necessarily. But I think he's got a great way with dialogue, of course. I think he's most, he's very well known for his dialogue. And he's made some great stuff, and, and he's put out some pretty fantastic performances he's gotten out of his his um, his actors and, and some scenes that are just etched into into the minds of, of so many cinephiles so with that in mind I was fairly excited for once upon a time in Hollywood I heard about the cast list and it's enormous <laughs> you know this is just who uh, you know it's a who's who from you know, the old guys like Al Pacino and Kurt Russell to uh, sort of Leah, to Leo and Brad Pitt, who are a little bit below them, to Margot Robbie and, and Dakota Fanning and Timothy Oliphant and Margaret Qualley, uh, Emil Hirsch, Damian Lewis, Bruce Dern, Michael Madsen, Sean, Sean Baker even in this, uh, Scoot McNary, Lena Dunham, Clifton Collins Jr., the, the list goes on and on and on and on. It's it's a huge cast, uh, a great cast, really. A really great cast. And that's exciting, right? Not only from a, man, I can't wait to see these characters and see these actors interact on the big screen, but even for, but for me, you know, like, man, this is going to be huge for my spreadsheet. This is a big deal. Uh, I'll, you know, it, it affects so many people. So I, for that reason as well, I'm looking forward to this movie. Um, didn't see the trailer like normal, but 
best I could understand of the plot before I went to see the movie is it was kind of unknown and I had heard that the film would have something to do with the Manson family. I didn't know in what capacity, how much, uh, you know, I, I had heard a little bit of a bickering about who was the main character, whether it was DiCaprio or Pitt or Robbie and, and so on. And so there were a lot of question marks about the movie. And I was interested and, and curious to kind of answer those questions for myself and see what they led to and what they, they really meant. Now, then uh, then I saw how long it was. The movie is two hours and about 37 minutes long, start to end, beginning of credits, which is ridiculous. It's it's really really long, and I wasn't that that was kind of daunting. I mean, Tarantino's films are generally have gotten longer as they go on, and uh, especially more recently, I think uh, he's I don't want to say he's lost his touch, but he's kind of lost his his restraint, I guess, in terms of of a condensed film. This kind of gave me. It kind of remind, felt like it was going to uh, be Wolf of Wall Street, which was also incredibly long. Also starred Leo DiCaprio. Um, and, you know, it was a kind of a big cast with a, a lot of moving parts. And so I kind of felt like that would be the best analog to what, what I was going to experience in this. Which, having seen it now, is, is really not. It's a very different film. Um... Tarantino and Scorsese aren't exactly um, the same when it comes to directing, and what what I what you get out of this movie is going to be a lot different uh, from person to person, even. Whereas I think Wolf of Wall Street uh, is a little more direct in in what it's trying to say. You know, it's a very straightforward plot. It's a very straightforward theme, uh, and and it really pinpoints from a, a, a specific direction that Scorsese wants wants to take it. Whereas Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and and this is kind of interesting because you know Tarantino has, from my recollection, always been pretty good about a concise plot. Now, oftentimes his plots will have multiple threads and, and various storylines that converge and, and intersect throughout the film, and that can be, uh, you know, Pulp Fiction and so on. That can be a little disorienting at times, but they all are a plot leading from a point A to a point B with a specific path in mind, whether that path intersects with 20 other characters or 10 other characters or 5 other characters, and whether those other characters have their own plots that we're also seeing, there's a plot. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood kind of doesn't have a plot. It almost felt like a, um, like a, you know, a Baumbach or a, um, Linklater film for a while, where it's just characters, uh, actors, um, sometimes fake people in history, sometimes real people from history, 
going through the motions and experiencing a day in their own lives. And that is going to be something I talk about a lot throughout this movie, or throughout this review, because that really... I don't know. I love Linklater. I really like Baumbach. I think they've made some spectacular films. And they're... Um, the proclivity for, for films that are a little more aimless, a little more sort of slice of life, I've never held that against them. I, I, I don't, I, I, in fact, generally enjoy movies like that. Uh, the ones that are done well are, are pretty incredible. And I don't know, I haven't really felt that with Tarantino before, so this was very new for me uh, in that respect. And I came out of the film thinking it was boring. All right. I came out and I thought it was kind of boring. Watching the movie, I think, you know, at the half hour mark, I didn't know what the plot was. At the hour mark, I still didn't know what the plot was. At an hour and a half in, I was still wondering what we were working toward. Where was the movie going? Two hours in and I still did not know what the end goal was going to be. And when the and the ending is is pretty uh pretty shocking relative to the rest of the movie. So I really struggled for most of this film to kind of situate myself in it. Uh I had difficulty letting my letting letting it wash over me and letting it capture me and letting it just just living in this moment because that's what the characters were doing and I, for whatever reason I, I could not relax into it that way and so my initial reaction and you know I tweeted this and I, I mentioned this to you know my girlfriend and the friends of mine as I felt it was one of the worst, weakest films that I, one of Tarantino's weakest, if not his weakest film, uh, yet. And I'll admit, uh, you know, I, I was kind of hasty in that judgment. I think there, I, I, I needed to give the film a little more time to say its piece. Um, and even more than that, I needed to give it more time for give myself more time to kind of process and understand and really uh, situate what I had seen into a position that it belongs. So with that in mind, I think having slept, you know, after seeing it now and giving myself a little bit of a chance to think on it and, and look at some other reactions and Hear some other thoughts on the film. I'm I'm definitely not ready to say it's a masterpiece. I think I've seen a lot of people call it that, and I'm not ready to do that at all. But certainly, do not think it is his worst film. I, I think it's a good movie. It's slow. I think the first two hours are very slow. It really does feel like it's two and a half hours long. But thinking back now and, and trying to appraise it in hindsight, there's a lot more going on than I give the film credit for. Part of that has to do with 
my own ignorance in the events that are actually being portrayed. And I can get into that a little bit more in spoilers, uh, which there will be for this this review. But I, man, uh, you know, this is the kind of thing that you should know. Um, especially as a cinephile, you should know, uh, at least in the most minuscule of capacities, uh, about the events that are depicted. And I did not. I was blissfully unaware of the story behind um, these these people. And so when the film culminates in its climax at the end, um, <laughs> didn't really do much for me at the time. And, and now I can sort of, th- have, having figured out like what I was supposed to be feeling... Uh, what what it was supposed to be conveyed because I have more understanding and better knowledge of it. Uh, it really it it does change. It has to change your perception of the film and the events that that Tarantino and is showing and what the message he is is trying to convey. So it's um it's tricky. It's tricky. So we'll see. Let's 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 see. So ultimately. I don't know what this, what I'm going to rate this. I have like five or six movies ahead of this that I have to put into my spreadsheet. But um, I'm going to try to use this podcast to kind of get myself to that point and figure out what, how good, uh, bad, okay, amazing, astounding, terrible this movie really is. And, and that is what this review is going to be. So suffice to say, um, I think it's a film worth seeing. I think there are some fantastic performances in it. DiCaprio, Pitt are both great. Uh, I loved Margaret Qualley in this. And uh, I would also shout out to, uh, where's her name? Julia Butters. Uh, Man, Julia Butters is great in the small role that she has. So great performances. I think Tarantino's direction is is solid. Um, His editing we talk about his editor a lot. Uh, it's Fred Raskin for this movie. But uh, I think you go back to, say, some of his generally considered classics, like Pulp Fiction, where it was edited by Sally Menke. And, you know, you really feel that absence. Um, I think that is a big part of the pace issues and, and the length. And I, I, it's a shame. I think there's a tight, maybe two hours, ten minute movie that would have been a lot easier to, to digest and, and follow and experience. But you know, you know, it, it is kind of, at times this felt like he was making, you know, an, a Hollywood version of Boyhood almost. Um, I guess that's that's a little too far. Maybe like because uh, it doesn't take place over so many years but I don't know about an hour and a half of this movie takes place over the course of a single day and it just it doesn't need to it just it really doesn't need to um he there's also uh, a lot of sensibilities in the film that I kind of felt were similar to Adam McKay's style uh, especially since he started doing the big short and vice uh, a lot of like cuts to flashbacks and 
narration and things that are very jarring. Uh, you know, he he shows, you know, uh, DiCaprio's character will talk about a role that he auditioned for, and then we'll cut back and see that role. And I don't know, just the style of that was very strange to me from from Tarantino, and and maybe I just don't remember his other films as well as I I think I do, but. It was very odd. Uh, it felt like he was trying to stretch a little bit and go think a little bit outside of the box, which is fine, but I don't know that he quite reined in uh, the technique that he was exactly looking for. So, we, we'll see. Um, we'll see. There's a lot, to get o- a lot to get into. A lot of actors, a lot of characters, a lot of people, a lot of things, and... Um, as far as all I can really say for now is I think you should probably see it for your for your own sanity uh, to, to figure it out for yourself because it's uh, it's a lot of movie. It is a lot of movie. So once upon a time in Hollywood, if I had to throw a rating on it right now, it's probably in the low 60s, but I, I can definitely see that coming up and I can see it going down. Uh, as I continue to talk about it. So, we'll see. We will see. That is it for the for the spoilers-free portion of this review. Um, yeah, uh, so here's a spoiler bumper, and then we'll get into spoiler part of this review. Uh, thanks. If you leave now, go check it out, come back, listen to the spoiler part, do what you gotta do. Don't ask too many questions. You don't want answers to You don't like my direction And I won't follow you Okay, spoilers for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood I'm just gonna try to, I don't know, just walk through this movie And try to wrap my head around it and what it's trying to do See if that, see if that helps me, maybe you Figure out a little bit more about the film and, and what it's doing And how it works, I guess So Let's let's start with the main character question. Is there a lead role in this movie? And as far as like a single lead role, I don't think so. But if you have to pick who are the main characters, the 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 who's going to get nominated for lead actor uh, in in this movie, it's got to be Pitt and DiCaprio. Right? Like, Robbie does not get nearly enough screen time to even be possibly considered a lead. She has a supporting role. So, the question is really DiCaprio and Pitt. And we get enough sequences from both of them on their own that I think they're equally viable as lead roles. I could even see saying that they're both supporting, but the number of times where neither of them is on screen are, are quite few. And uh, they spend a lot of time on screen together. So I would say that they are the lead roles. Uh, So DiCaprio and and Pitt anchor the film. We start out uh, with with the two of them. And we finish with the two of them. Sort of. So the film follows DiCaprio. Rick fucking Dalton. Who is... You know, an aging actor. He's past his prime. He's almost 10 years removed from his hit show, uh, Bounty Law, which sounds terrible. And now he's kind of stuck playing the bad guy for a bunch of other younger, 
performers uh, in their own shows. Uh, meanwhile, Cliff is Pitt, who is a uh, Dalton stuntman, and he is uh, also aging out of not getting a ton of work outside of Dalton, and he's less of a stuntman and more of a gopher in in the most technical sense at this point. So, to that end, uh, the two of them are essentially representing the idea this this sort of you know they're over the hill they they are watching the times change around them Uh, the landscape is different now the world is changing the hollywood is changing and net and and younger fresher hotter new things are are coming in taking their spot basically and we see a bunch of moments in the movie that kind of illuminate this this idea there is a scene between um, DiCaprio and what's her name? Julia Butters, uh, who is a very young child actor in one of the shows that uh, Dalton is shooting. And the two have a moment before they shoot where they're both sitting on uh, the por- on the porch and reading and they have this nice little conversation and they talk about a book that DiCaprio is reading that also highlights the once was a rising star now kind of on the decline sort of thing and in the same way that she represents you know the next generation or in this case maybe two generations into the future in terms of acting is uh, and how that's portrayed so all in all you know the the imagery the themes and the idea that dalton is over the hill are there you know he has this long conversation with Pacino early in the film about not letting his his, his image become just this punching bag for younger heroes and and leading men he takes there's an interlude toward the you know two-thirds of the way into the movie where he goes to Italy and he becomes kind of a leading man he finds himself again out there and it feels and <laughs> You know, it's a great thing, but the movie kind of either both through DeCap- uh, Dalton's reaction to this idea and uh, the way Russell, Kurt Russell, who is both a character and the narrator, and the way he talks about it, that this is kind of a step down for him. You know, great, he's in the leading role, but he has to do it in Italy. And it's kind of like, you know, a basketball player going and playing overseas in in the European leagues or you know some it's how soccer play football players from Europe come over and play soccer in the MLS here in the states because the league it's just a weaker league it's a weaker field and and they can continue to have success once their prime is up in the best of the best which in this case would be Hollywood so there's a lot of that um you know we see Pitt Pitt doesn't quite go through as many things in that regard. You know, he seems completely capable of as being a stuntman throughout the entirety of the film. He never really shows any sluggishness or age to his movements. And so for him, I don't know if that's the, quite the same thing. But I think his arc is so, con, so uh, tightly tied to uh, Dalton that it's really tough to separate the two. So I think Cliff Booth is on that 
downward trajectory just as much as uh, Rick Dalton is. Meanwhile, uh, we do get a couple of interludes here and there from, from Margot Robbie, who plays Sharon Tate. So, let me just preface this all. I don't... I didn't really know who Sharon Tate was. I know who Roman Polanski is. I know who Charles Manson is. I went into this somehow, uh, you know, 27 years old, seven, eight years of, of pure cinephilia, not knowing uh, anything about Sharon Tate's murder that really happened. And that is both uh, a curiosity. I mean, it, it really changes how you view the end of this movie because in real in, in history, she and three other people at her house were found brutally stabbed and murdered uh, dozens and dozens of times over by members of the Manson family. And in this, that doesn't happen. So I wasn't sitting in the theater waiting for this murder to take place. I didn't know that she was the one that got murdered. I was mostly just waiting for her character to interact with any of the other main characters in the movie. And so when that didn't happen, it didn't really affect me at all. It didn't feel like a quote-unquote twist. Um, and then my girlfriend walking out of it was like really thrown by it because she was well aware of what had taken place. And, and so it was very much rewriting history in the way that Inglorious Bastards did. So having that... Uh, looking back at that event now and trying and now seeing what took place uh, based on what I now know is the truth uh, changes things. It, it rewrites um, a little bit of the ending of the movie, which I wasn't particularly, I don't know. I liked the ending of the movie, but it didn't impact me the way that it kind of does now because of, I think the subversion of it all. But that said, when we see Sharon Tate in the film, you know, we see her interact with Roman Polanski we, uh, for one scene. We see her go out and see, watch a movie that she's in and kind of mimic the movements on the screen. She bathes in the approval and cheers of the audience around her. And she's a generation down from Rick Dalton. She's in that limelight. She is under the, the, the star of Hollywood. And she's craving, as we see when she's in the theater, she's craving this approval. She is craving this desire, this, this love, this adoration from fans and audience members. And, you know, she's successful. You know, she has the career. She has a husband who is also, you know, got his own, uh, you know, questionably moral, but, you know, Holly, from a Hollywood standpoint, a very successful career. Uh, and so she's still not able to feel that in the same way. Like she still needs to go out and 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 experience the, you know, yes, the they fans enjoy what she's doing. The fans like what she's giving them and showing them. So there's that whole side of it. You know, even the future fan, even the future generations, you know, after Rick's gone 
after you know you're this you're rising star and you're still not enough it's still not enough and i think there's that particular mindset that at least tarantino is implying about people in hollywood about how it doesn't matter how how high you reach it doesn't matter you know if it, you know whether it's oscar nominated oscar winning uh you know financially successful uh you know whether you're say daniel day lewis and you've won three best actor awards whether you're james cameron and you or you know and you made movies that have just broken a millions of box office records or now with avengers endgame you know you're always trying to recapture things that you've had and then not only that but go a step further and improve upon what you've already done and it's for some people in this industry it's it's impossible you know or you at least think it would you know how could you know to think that uh cameron could have topped titanic from a financial and even oscar standpoint and yet it avatar crushed titanic financially uh not quite so in in terms of accolades and awards but financially crushed it which feels unheard of and like endgame doing the same thing to infinity war which itself was a, a you know a financial behemoth is insane you know and and you know there are many factors that go into things like that but it's it's very telling that tarantino is showing us this movie in this way and and giving us these small insights into sharon tate who is essentially a a prop in this movie she has no character she has no range uh she doesn't have a ton of dialogue she gets very few scenes it's mostly just an idea it's a representation it's an image of sort of the future of hollywood that in real life was stamped out and in once upon a time in hollywood isn't and so now there's this future for her that no one knows what will happen and now she's you know interacting with rick dalton she you know who knows what could become of their partnership career together maybe i don't know you know there's a lot of unanswered questions and i think that is something that i was not thinking about when I first finished the film because I didn't really understand oh there's this whole new future now and now that I can kind of come to terms with that and and really understand what's being displayed I really like that ending so much more but what about the first two hours uh let's go back to those a little bit so they're long right and i i I kind of had the same issue here that i had with midsummer which is i like the theme i like the message i like what you know in this case tarantino in that case ari ari um, ari aster was trying to say i think those are great things to display in a movie but on the other hand I don't think in either instance you needed two and a half hours to get those points across. There are a lot of moments in this movie where we see cutaways to the past. There's like a five to ten minute long sequence of Brad Pitt imagining what would happen if he went back and worked on a set, worked at the set with DiCaprio. Uh, 
and I just is funny. It's a nice joke, but it, uh, sometimes it really came across as a little too Family Guy. You know, with the like, I wonder what that would be like, what that would be like, what that would be like, but with a little more, you know, uh, directorial flair to it. So I, I really felt there was a way to tighten this thing up and, and really condense it a little bit better. Uh, there are so many people in this cast who appear for one, maybe two scenes. Kurt Russell as the narrator <coughs> slash Randy. Uh, who's like the stunt coordinator on uh, uh, Dick Ral- D- Rick Dalton's uh, set during the movie is or during the show he's shooting with Tim- Timothy Oliphant. Oliphant. He's not in the movie for very long. Uh, you know Dakota Fanning as Squeaky it gets one scene. Bruce Dern. Uh, gets one scene as uh, George Spahn, Span, Luke Perry as Scott Lancer, who is a... So Luke Perry plays a guy playing Scott Lancer um, in probably my favorite scene of the movie. Uh, so in this scene, DiCaprio as Dalton, as the bad guy in this pilot, has uh, Julia Butter's character... The, the has the character that Julia Butter's character is playing. So the little girl and DiCaprio are in a scene together. He's got her like at gunpoint, holding her hostage. Luke Perry plays a relative of hers that shows up to talk, you know, to parlay. <coughs> and from that point, <coughs> excuse me, sorry, to the end of the scene, which follows DiCaprio, you know, menacing and growling and you know threatening Luke Perry. And then, ultimately, when the scene's ended, it's cut, you know, we get a shot of, or we get a moment of the director, I don't know who played the director, (coughs) coming over and really praising Dalton so much for his performance, you know, the improv line that he had, and just, you know, he's yelling at him, he's like, oh, be evil Hamlet, evil Hamlet, and it's, it's great, it's a great scene, and it's capped with uh, Julia Butters coming over to him. And within the context of the film, and based on the scene that they'd shared previously, she leans in and whispers in his ear, you know, that was some of the best acting I've ever seen. And now she's eight. So admittedly, that's probably not a huge range of, of things that she's seen. But in that moment... What those words meant to Dalton are just so, so important. They validate so much inside of him. It's, you know, making it all worth it. Proving to him that he still has it. Proving that he can still be these characters, still play these roles, and still, you know, affect others with his with his work. You know, that is that is... That makes all the difference. It really, really does. There's another side to this, though. There's another side. Let's move, moving around. We're jumping around a little bit. Not really going in any order. Um, the other part of this is the Brad Pitt, Cliff Booth. He's got this weird 
there's this weird um, rule of threes interaction that he has with uh, Margaret Qualley, who I thought was great, as her character's name is Pussycat. And she is part of the Manson family, we come to discover. But <clears throat> Cliff sees her once. They wave at each other. Sees her twice. Uh, she tries to hitchhike with him, but he's going the wrong way. And uh, I think it's interesting to, that he includes that scene in, the, in in here because... And I really liked it. I, I liked its position because it makes... One, I mean, it helps make the you know rule of threes thing work. But it also... I think a, a different director has Brad Pitt just turn around there. But instead, he just keeps driving, and he ends up going to back back to Rick Dalton's place, fixing his antenna, uh, and then coming back. And when he finally comes back, then she's still there, and so finally, you know, he picks her up and takes her to, uh, in this case, uh, uh, Bruce Dern Spawn's ranch or, or something. I forget. Uh, Spawn's movie ranch or something to that effect, where all these hippies live uh and i think the implication there is that they are the manson family so <clears throat> or affiliates of it in some sense and so this there's this really long interlude that takes place here it's maybe 20 25 minutes long and cliff is friends or at least has known uh george spawn who's bruce dern in the past he visits the place he meets lena dunham who is playing like the mother of all these hippies and interacts with them for a little bit and then he wants to see George and everybody keeps telling him George is napping George is taking a breast a rest and he goes up and he interacts with Dakota Fanning who's playing squeaky I didn't like Dakota Fanning in this that much but she's not in it very long so it wasn't a big deal and then he gets to interact with Bruce Dern and he's supposedly blind and the con- I don't know. It just this is a weird long interlude of in the film that I, it didn't bother me, except that I I just didn't understand why we had to spend so much time here. So finally, you know, Cliff leaves, and one of his tires has been slashed and uh, uh, penetrated by this knife. He beats this guy up for it, and then Tex is called and he's brought back and and cliff forces the guy that popped his tire to uh fix it and this that and the other and and then he leaves and it's just so odd to me uh that that's how it all played out and i guess if you're looking at it through, through the lens of the ending which is instead of the manson family going after and killing Sharon Tate, they attack Cliff Booth and Rick Dalton. You could almost... But it doesn't actually work because... So if, if the thinking is here, there needed to be a reason for them to attack a different house as opposed to Sharon Tate's, right? Ultimately, what ends up happening is that... Um, what's her name? Sadie, Mikey Madison, uh, who is from the TV show Better Things this is how I recognized her she says during this like decision uh, that 
they should attack Rick Dalton, who comes out and yells at them when they are making a lot of noise and they're called in the cul-de-sac. That they should kill him because he represents Hollywood and these people who have been on TV and in movies who keep killing and killing and killing and killing and teaching younger people to kill and kill and kill and kill. And so that's kind of justice for them. And I, I get that reasoning. I get that explanation. Fine. But it doesn't have anything to do with Cliff. They don't see Cliff. They don't interact with him until they enter the house, which, I mean, that's fine. And I enjoy that interaction that they share. But him going there doesn't in any way, as far as I can tell, uh, spark or catalyze the decision to change from Sharon Tate to Rick Dalton. And so that makes this, this entire interlude just kind of set up for jokes later on or for jokes within it. And so, like, there's things like that that really rub me the wrong way about this movie. And it's one of the parts where, like, some of these moments throughout the film are inconsequential in the grander scheme of things because there's very little plot to be had. But they're still enjoyable within themselves and this sequence in particular was not very enjoyable within itself for me i thought it was one of the least effective ones uh as good as brad pitt is in there and and throughout the entirety of the film it really didn't feel that necessary now if instead the reasoning that they you know they see him when they show up to kill sharon tate and that's what makes them switch Maybe, but that's not what happens. So it's tough. It's tough to really reconcile why that was why that was shown the way it was. I don't know, because Margaret Qualley isn't even one of the people who shows up to kill everybody at the end. Um, I don't know. There's just a lot of I don't know incongruencies uh, throughout the film like that that I, I wasn't vibing with all the time and so talking about it and like running through some of these elements and talking and getting through some of the specifics of the film and and the specific scenes and moments and characters and beats I've definitely warmed to it I've definitely warmed to it quite a bit I think there's a lot more going on here than I gave the film credit for (coughs) which I don't know maybe if I'm being honest with myself I probably knew that last night (laughs) Um, but yeah, there, there's a lot more to, to feel and experience in this than it may at first blush appear. And when that final title, uh, you know, is plastered over this, the end of the movie and you really have to think and and look in context of once upon a time, you know, there's a reason this is the title. Because it is a fairy tale. It is a what if. It is a, you know, just, you know, this this is what could have been. And I still think there's way too much movie to... (coughs) Sorry. Just to get to that question. But it's still a good question. It is a good question. And I really enjoy thinking about it and wondering what if, what if, what if. You know, if it's whether it's a Sharon Tate, whether it's anybody else, and you know, maybe this is, you know, one of the more important ones because this is kind of right at the t- 
turn of, of Hollywood, you know, into the 70s. And, and things really shifted in the 70s. But <clears throat> there's a lot going on here. And I think there's a lot to, to, to dig into and, and to sift through and, and extrapolate. And I'm sure I haven't touched a lot of it. I'm sure there's more than I have even thought of already. And, and I don't know if I'll ever watch it again. It is so long. Uh, maybe. Definitely something worth keeping in mind as a rewatch simply because I have such a different perspective on it now than I did when I first saw it. Um, thinking about the Circle of Film Awards, uh, I think Brad Pitt is worth including in, in the best best performance, best lead right now. Um, probably DiCaprio as well. I think they both make it in. Uh, supporting, I don't know. I'd have to look through. I don't think anyone's going to make that list. I think the problem is all the supporting roles in the film are just too small. And so they don't really get enough meat to chew on to do. Uh, screenplay um, and direction, like those are questionable, iffy. Uh, I think Tarantino has a shot at, definitely shot at directing. Less of, less of a chance in screenplay at this point. I like the score. I thought the score was pretty good. Um, uh, man, the, the tactile effects are, are amazing. The costumes are great. The makeup, the hairstyling, production, stunt work uh, is really good. And the sound, I, I think, is a really good content, big contender in tactile effects. And uh, for sure, best scene is, is a consideration. So... It's going to make some waves uh, in this. I'm now looking at maybe a low to mid-70s score for it. I think that's where it's going to fall on this this watch. And uh, I, I'm pretty happy with that. I am pretty happy about that now that I've talked it out and, and kind of reasoned it with myself. And I think that's a worthy position. A worthy position for once upon a time dot 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 in Hollywood. So, that's about it for my my, my review. I uh, appreciate anyone who stayed and listened to the spoilers, and, and or if you came back to listen to the spoilers. Thank you for listening. If you would like to find me, follow me. Uh, find me on Twitter, at Circle of Film, uh, letterboxed at Circle of Film. You can email circleoffilm.com, circleoffilm at gmail.com. You can find the website, circleoffilm.com, which has all the other episodes and and top 10 lists and you can look at the current circle of film award nominees for the year you can support the show like it rate it review it subscribe to it on whatever podcast uh, application that you use or you can go to patreon.com slash circle of film and become a patron for as little as one as one dollar a month or eight cents an episode and every patron will has access to has early access to all episodes as soon as I have finished recording them. So this one will be available uh, was available Friday at like 1 p.m. So uh, yeah, I'm getting a little bit better at at, at early access uh, after now that I'm sort of recovering. You can still hear the cough, but it's better. It's getting better. Thank you for listening, and as always, have a week. So long, farewell, I'll be the same good night. I know she'll never-
leave me Even as she fades from view So long, farewell, I'll be to say adieu Nothing's really left or lost without a trace Nothing's gone forever, only out of place So long, farewell, oh, I'll be to say Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. so long